You're listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Jackie. (laughs) Were you waiting for me to do the thing, Katie? I was. I wanted you to do the thing. Uh, But hello, welcome (laughs) to the Inclusive AF podcast. This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. I I don't want to confuse our millions of fans by actually going first, <laughs> they might like hang up. They're like, wait, no, Katie always does it first. This is the wrong one. I think that they will definitely be able to tell our voices are very different. I don't have that good Texas twang, but I'm working on it. I, one day I will be able to achieve it. Um, so you're just jealous. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> Um, well, welcome all. Um, we have our uh, some very amazing guests for this episode. Um, we have a, a returning friend. Um, we Woo-hoo! have Tara. <laughs> Tara Robertson is back, people. Yay! <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So I, I don't know if you know this, Tara, but I've been promising our listeners that you were coming back um, for about well, since the last time you were on, actually. <laughs> so so this is a good day. It's very exciting. And you are joined by Alexandra Samuel. And we're going to talk about some stuff. So but I want to first of all, you know, Alex, thanks you for thank you for joining us. Would love for you to share a little bit about yourself, your identity, all that good stuff. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. So I'm a, a cisgendered female um, with a a trans kid and an autistic kid. And so a lot of my thinking around inclusiveness and diversity has really come from what I've learned from and, um, and from frankly, from the adult trans and non-binary and neurodivergent communities. Um, I'm, I was a women's studies major Uh, you know what, I was a women's studies major so long ago that I don't think we talked about trans identity. And I don't think the term neurodiversity had even been coined when I did studies. So, um, you know, know, it's been, it's been really lovely, actually, to have my expand my thinking on diversity. Um, I've, I've always been, you know, queer identified. Uh, I'm married to a man, but I very much feel like that's my community and, and I'm Jewish. So, you know, I never have felt exactly like mainstream, but my, my experience has, has made me think about diversity and, and, and that has really affected the writing I've done in the past few years in particular, where, um, a lot of what I've been working on has, has had to do with um, neurodiversity in particular in a few different dimensions. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. And, you know, I, I uh, started reading your book and I am well into it. I need to finish it, but very, very excited about the, the book that you wrote. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit, but I also want to talk about the um, Harvard Business Review article that you and Tara co-authored. Um, and so would love to just start off a little bit with, with that and would love for you to share with us um, a little bit about the article. Well, actually, first off, uh, Alexandra, where are you based? I'm based in Vancouver, very close to Tara. Okay. Okay. So two Canadians, people, two Canadians. It's we're, ha- we're an international global <laughs> podcast today. That's right. That's what this is all about. Worldwide. Well, I should confess I'm, I'm a dual, I'm a dual citizen. So I'm like only half Canadian. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
that's the hashtag. We'll take it. We'll take it. Yes. Yes. All four of us are extremely online. So (laughs) that's true. I think we're all in the same space. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Vancouver is one of my favorite cities. It's absolutely gorgeous. So um, we're happy to have you both, but uh, the HBR article would love to hear a little bit about kind of what inspired you to write this, where you all got started, all that good stuff. Tara. <laughs> can we tell the story behind the article? Cause it, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, we yes, can talk about yes. the meat of it, but absolutely. Um, being extremely online um, on Facebook, I think Alex and I saw that we had our same second vaccine appointment at the same time at the same place. So we, we agreed to meet up and we were in the, the line was moving really fast, very organized. And Alex said, Hey, um, do you want to write something together? And I was like, Alex writes a lot and is a really fast writer. And I, I love what she has to say, especially about hybrid work, which is, she's had a lot of things to say recently. And she's not a DNI person per se, but like always, there's always that lens there. Um, I really appreciate the, the things she offers. So she said, do you want to read something together for like maybe Harvard Business Review? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. That's one of my goals. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm good. Thanks. HBR now, not a big. <laughs> so it happened in the vaccine lineup. Um, we went for a walk and talked the ideas through. Alex sat down, banged out this amazing draft. We sat down. I think we went through a couple edits, sent it to the editor, who was amazing, um, who sent helped us really expand some ideas and then tighten it up again. So it was and partway through, I, I asked Alex, I was like, hey, why did you want to write this with me? Like, and she's like, I really love the work that you do in the world. And I wanted to connect you to the audience at Harvard Business, Business Review. And I wanted to connect you to my editor. And I was just so touched. So like, I know we talk a lot about mentorship and sponsorship and DEI stuff, but I was really humbled and like, moved to be sponsored by someone who had access in that world, who I admire and who invited me in. So I didn't know that there was a door down this hallway, but Alex is like, come on, come down this hallway with me. And it well, turned, we got to go on the radio uh, on our public broadcaster in Canada. And that turned into a TV thing for me. So it's just been, I love the ideas that we, we put out in this article, but also the process of all of these women opening doors and welcoming well me into spaces that I didn't have access to before it's been really awesome well I I I appreciate you you sharing the story that way Tara and and it makes me sound like a very nice person um but I feel like I I mean I much more selfish component to this for me which is that you know I've been doing a lot of speaking around hybrid work and remote work since this came out I've been fretting about the potential impacts on diversity and inclusion if people come back to the office and show up in different ways. And I have learned so much from what you share and write about and from our occasional conversations. And I have really wanted to think more about the DEI impact of remote, totally not qualified to do that on my own. And so for me, it was also an opportunity to actually like think this through um, plus, for, ironically, I'm tired of doing all my work with people places like the ability to actually like we, we, I, I would just like to say I did not go bang out an outline on my own. We went and had an actual human like in person conversation. We went for a beautiful walk. This is such a totally Vancouver cliche, but we went for a walk by the water. 
talk through the whole article and I was like dictating into my phone as we were <laughs> coming up with ideas. It was very collaborative. Um, and so that was really, for me, a great opportunity. And, and the other thing I just want to say, because I, I was really touched by what you posted last week about sponsorship, and I think it is a good thing for people who have access and privilege to think about. But I, I think I said this to you at one point, like, one of the things that I find really fascinating about writing for the places I write for, because I write for HBR regularly, and I write for the Wall Street Journal regularly, is you would seriously number of white guys who feel like they deserve access to my Rolodex. I get a lot of emails asking, could you introduce me to your editor at the Wall Street Journal? Could you introduce me to your editor at HBR? And I for sure have never gotten one of those emails from a woman. And I have almost never gotten one from a man of color. It's almost always white men. Um, sometimes people who literally have never met me, sometimes white guys who have like had a very brief acquaintance with me or like talked to me once. And I, I just find it really interesting um, that women do not um, feel able to make that request. And I like, I'm not sure is the problem that these white guys feel like they can open my phone book or is the problem that women and people of color don't think to ask and don't feel like we can ask. And I, I feel like maybe it's a both. Um, I, I do get a little annoyed at entitlement from people who don't know me at all, who think I'm like, like, it took me years to be able to write for these places. I worked hard to develop those connections. And no, I've never seen your writing and I don't know you and I'm not going to make that introduction. Um, I I do actively look for opportunities to make those introductions for, for women and people of color who frankly are underrepresented in these kinds of publications. Um, but I also like feel like one of I've been reflecting on a lot, Tara, since, since you've been sharing this story is like, how, how can those of us who are less privileged start to like knock on the door? Don't wait to be invited. Don't wait for the sponsor, but like actually say, hey, I see you know someone in this place I want to be. Could you please make that introduction? I love that. I think there's also the piece like if I were to rock up to an editor at HBR's or virtual door and bang on it and say, hey, I've got something to say. You should listen to me. Um, one that oh gosh even just saying that makes my stomach flip so there's that whole socialization and all the experience that I've had in the workplace that um where I know I need to have the pre-meets with people before mm -hmm. I go into the room so that they'll listen I see you all nodding um and you you bridged that relationship so I didn't need to do that we just got to talk about the ideas um so I guess well, the TLDR for the article is that you know, being remote or being in person, neither one is necessarily better um, for diversity, equity, inclusion. But if you're designing for diversity, equity, inclusion, you need to do it mindfully. And we're kind of in a in a, a time that's no one's lived through this. So we need to think about this through kind of an experimental lens and think, have different hypotheses. Like, I don't know, like, how is this affecting our promotions? Who is actually coming in? who does have FaceTime with their boss and how is that impacting who's getting those juicy assignments? So uh, Alex, you're, you're very inquisitive. And I think your academic hypothesis, like let's use data. Like we also overlap on data, <laughs> which actually all of us do here. So thinking about that and thinking about like, what kind of questions should people be asking? What should you be measuring? Um, I think those are things that are really relevant to most companies right now. You know, well, when now, you talk, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say what, what, what I thought 
really interesting when Tara and I started working together was I had kind of assumed that remote work and then the reopening of the office was detrimental to DEI goals. And Tara was actually more And so that was part of what was in the process was thinking about, well, like, how would we figure out whether this is good news or bad news or more likely a mix? And I think it's been interesting to see, I've worked remote for a really long time, um, for like 13 years. And one of the things that was interesting for me is that I never considered that that's what made the environments that I was in tolerable. That if I had to go and visually see that I was the only black woman in the room, that I wouldn't have felt as comfortable. And that for some reason I felt empowered because this was in my space. And I know a lot of um, black women in particular, but women of color have said they don't wanna go back to the office where they have that reminder of being the only person in the office. Um, but at the same time, if you do have the opportunity to gather more FaceTime with the, you know, the people that talk about that's something to consider. But unfortunately, as I know that, um, as you do the research, it's like some people don't have those opportunities. And so I think that was really interesting, um, consideration. And I think this has forced us to look at things differently and roles differently and privilege differently. Absolutely. And I, I would also, so first off, I, I love the story and, and both interpretations of the story of yes. how you all connected. Um, and, and it is interesting that you both, you know, had your experience, which was the same experience, but again, the lens that we're looking through and how, it, you know, where you're coming from does make it different for both of you. But I, I, I love that you shared kind of that position and also just the whole idea of, you know, Tara, you're saying, Hey, I'm being brought into this space that I've never been in before. And Alex, you're, Hey, you're protective of that space because it is your people. And it's folks that you say, you know, Hey, this is important. And these, the folks that are doing this work, it is important and you want to bring in the right folks. And so to have that balance and to make sure that, you know, you know, it's not that, Hey, are you worthy that I, I know that that's not your, what you're thinking at all, Alex, but it, you know, it definitely is that how do you make sure that the right conversations are happening and the right, you know, voices are being heard and all that, which I just, I truly appreciate. But in this article, you know, I think the, the things that stood out for me, the one was the, how are remote management tactics used? So that one is one that like, I think has been on people's minds for so many years, even prior to this more concentrated remote work environment where you've had teams that are dispersed and it is, okay, well, I have a team in India. I have a team in the UK. I have a team in the US. How do I make sure that we're all aligned, that we're talking all of these different things? And there haven't been a lot of tools for managers to use to say, how do I do this the right way? And not even going into like the promotion, but just one-on-one -on -one conversations and, and what I need to be thinking about or talking about, not just that status update. But I, I love that you call that out because I think it's so important for folks to remember that it's hard when you are leading a team that is dispersed and leading a team that is all remote. And, you know, I know there's a lot of different technologies that folks are using and there's stuff that's great, but it's also the, are we giving our leaders the right tools for what they need to be great managers for folks that are sitting at home and, you know, have other things going on. And, you know, Jackie and I joke around because her husband will bring her eggs while we're recording and you know, different things. And I mean, and I think we all have those things. I have a puppy that 
decides every time I'm recording that she wants to come and play. It's really great. And so all these different distractions that you have, how are you as a leader helping to balance that? And it goes right into the same conversation. So um, I just, I love that you called that out because I think that's really critical. So I just, I just wanted to add something there. Like yeah. the technology tools enable a lot of things, but technology is built by people and ultimately like the work relationships, it's about people. So yeah, like we, we, it's a, we have zoom, we've got shared calendars, we can Google doc together, but it's, I think it's the agreements and the, the norms we want to explicitly agree to. Um, like for me to assume that what's going to work um, best for me in a situation is going to be true for everyone. Like, like maybe, but probably not. So how do we ensure that our meetings are useful and energizing and like for all types of people as well and move the work forward. So not just for the, the loud extroverted people who aren't afraid to get a word in, but how do we design for people who may be operating in their second, third or fourth language, someone who's operating at 11 PM, someone who might have a kid who needs to run in, like, how do we design for that and kind of think about all those things? Because one size doesn't fit all one size fits one. Absolutely. You know, and I think and, from, oh, go ahead, Jackie. No, it was just so great. Like last week um, at my company, we were interviewing and one of my coworkers has an 18 month old son and we're going through the, the interview. And we were like, I, I think you should introduce Oscar. Like, oh, like yeah. <laughs> just in case you're wondering why this baby's here. It seemed kind of weird. You know, I'm sure the person was kind of like, am I in the right room? You have a baby. And all of us were like, Oscar, you know, like, yeah, there is a baby. And when he's awake, he comes to work, you know, and does the things. Um, but I think that's been something that was an interesting is allowing people, if you can, to have that freedom of time of what works best. Um, I'm so glad to see those things. So I had a like four-year-old listed in on a workshop I did two weeks ago. And I was like, Hey, starting them young on inclusion. That's great. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, so I, I think the other piece, and again, kind of this goes to the data is, you know, talking about who actually is showing up in person and who is not able to show up in person. Um, and so, you know, I think that's one of the pieces too. Um, Tara, do you want to talk a little bit about that, about just the, the whole, you know, who actually is able to, and kind of what the data is showing us about that. Yeah, I think just thinking from like an experimental mindset there, when Alex and I were talking this through, like um, having been in-house, um, I know that like there's lots of data. Like if you've got a badge and you're badging into a building, you've got those counts. Um, seeing how many different Zoom meetings are happening, um, who's making like commits on code or who's getting sales done. I think we were talking about like the process of work versus like the actual productivity piece. So I think it's more of an older mindset to be like, I need to see you in your chair from this time to this time. And we also know that there, there is more surveillance for people of color, especially in the workplace. Um, a friend who's a black woman who works for a government agency 10 minutes before five o'clock. So at 4.50 every day, her boss just has some reason to ping her about a little thing. And it's like, we all know that she's being surveilled. Like, and 
that's racist. It's sexist. And it, it doesn't make for a good work experience. So yeah, I think there's not, I don't hear a lot about that kind of egregious stuff happening, but we also know that some companies use um, like tracking software um, for employees for employees like around confidential data leaks and whatnot so thinking there about like okay so who is under more surveillance like Mm -hmm. there's the business need but then there's also the who gets the benefit of the doubt piece and yeah we all know that that's not equal agreed and i think you know when we talk about kind of the data and you know it's the whole idea of like using the data for good or evil and you know i think we all have seen both sides of that And, you know, from a a good perspective, I think it's exactly what you said. It's what's the productivity level, not are you in your seat at 4.50 PM, but did you deliver what you said you were going to deliver on today or this week or this month or whatever it might be? And I think that's a piece that in every environment that I've worked in that you've had remote teams and even, you know, today where I'm a consultant. And so it's, I am, it's deliverables. What am I delivering? They don't care that at two o'clock, I'm going to go run to Target because I need to get, you know, whatever from Target that everyone needs to have to go to Target and get stuff. It's just how this works. And I know, can I, do you guys have Target anymore? It was there for a minute. It's and gone, it's but there. I know exactly uh, what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's those things that, you know, you can do during the day and it's, I'm still getting my work done. I'm still delivering everything I need to for my clients. And I think that's the piece that is a challenge for some leaders to like get that. And to your point that, you know, that's something that impacts people of color and women more because of the flexibility that is sometimes needed because of caregiving duties or whatever it might be. But I will tell you one of my favorite examples of a leader doing this the right way. Um, I had a technical engineer. Um, he's still one of my favorites, um, at GoDaddy (laughs) um, and he would leave every afternoon at two o'clock because he picked up his kids at three And then he would log back in, you know, later in the evening to kind of make up for that time. Now, I'm not saying that that is the right approach, but it just was like he was setting that example for the rest of the team of kind of the, I don't care when you put in the hours, just as long as you're doing the work and delivering on what you say you're going to do. And to your point, you know, is the code getting written is, you know, are these things getting done and it, is it equitable for everyone on the team? So it's just stuff like that, that I think is so foreign to people, especially in HR, because we have always been, you know, unfortunately that kind of the policing agency of the team where it's, Hey, we have to tell people what to do and when to do it. So I, I just, I don't yeah, And like in the knowledge economy, there's so much of our work that's collaborative. So I think a best practice is with your team or the people you're working with cross-functionally agreeing on core hours and communicating when you're not going to be available outside of the, or inside of those core hours that you agreed that you're um, going to be, be at work. And the other side of that is also like scheduling meetings during those, those times when people have already agreed that, it, that it's a time that is, that they're going to be at work. Um, gets trickier when you're working across time zones, but I think paying attention to those little things um makes like makes the work better, but it also makes it feel like, you know, the, you're not the person in, in Berlin who's always having to work to eight or 9 PM because the people on the West coast can't shift their day to accommodate you. So it's like, there's practical things we can do, but we need to talk about them and we need to make some agreements. I, I am glad that you said that. And I said, you know, 
I've, I've had a lot of life experiences, but nothing made me feel more lonely than people not acknowledging that I was in a different ta- time zone. Like I actually put it on my Slack. Like I'm in CDT. I am two hours behind Pacific. Um, and then like my recruiter lives in Hawaii. I thought, how is that going to work? But we have those, you know, times blocked out and having the times ready. But it really does like, okay, we're going to schedule meetings. If we schedule meetings, we're going to schedule them at this time to make sure people are available and allow people um, to have that understanding and freedom and not cross that barrier because that's what's unfortunate. And that's also what we've been looking at of trying to have like fully distributed teams so that we can have more voices and more people at the table and bringing people in. So it is across time zones. Um, and it's glad, I'm glad that at least people are trying to do it. It is difficult. It can be difficult. Um, if you, but you have just to set the parameter, just set, set those things up. It's not laying tile in the sun. That's hard, right? There's this advantages too hard. though. Like, when it works well, it's amazing. Like I, I remember a project when we were on a tight deadline and we, you know, like I, I, I closed off on the end of my day, handed it off to someone who is in Europe or sorry, who is in Asia and they picked it up and we got a phenomenal amount of work done that week. I don't think we could have worked like that all the time, but it felt amazing. And it felt amazing to be on a team when we're all paddling together and you feel that like whoosh and yeah, like it's, there's other things unlocked, like, especially around talent. I'm sure I feel silly saying this to you, Jackie, but <laughs> for our listeners, like all companies are trying to be more racially diverse. Um, there's parts of the U S and Canada that have more racial diversity or looking at um, the census by city. Like if you're trying to increase the number of black and Latinx folks in tech, like maybe look outside the Bay Area. And what? That's, that's <laughs> bananas. <laughs> and we're seeing a lot of the, the big tech companies setting up hubs in Atlanta. The inclusion part for me is like, you've got a distributed team. Are the leaders traveling to Atlanta or the people who are based there also getting FaceTime at he- headquarters? And are they getting visibility and getting those juicy like career making projects? So um, yeah, like, we're figuring it out, but, um, it's not like it's all good or all bad. It's like, we need to design it to be what we want it to be. The Jim Stroud podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain to brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. And I think that's such a critical point. It is the, you know, we don't have all the answers. And so being flexible to say on our team, here's how we're going to do this. And, you know, to your point, Hey, we're going to, you know, for this week, we're going to hand things off by time zone or whatever, or, Hey, our team agreement is these are our core hours and agreeing to some of that stuff and being thoughtful about 
honoring those hours as well. Cause you know, I think this was kind of your point as well, Tara, like the, how many times has it been? Oh, I'm in this time zone. Oh, I'm in this time zone. Oh, I'm in this time zone. And then every, you know, <laughs> getting something put on your calendar at 7 a.m. or at, you know, 8 p.m. And you're like, oh, goodness gracious. Okay, I'll, I'll do it because it's my job, but not happy about it. And, you know, and I joke around, this is one of the things we talk about in, in one of my trainings. It's just the sending out the agenda so people know if they actually need to show up for that meeting at 7 a.m. or 8 p.m. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation, but um, let's talk about promotions. Okay. So what did you find as, you know, as, as part of your research, as you were, you know, putting together this article, which by the way, the article is don't let hybrid work set back your DEI efforts. Um, I don't think we actually said that, um, but it's in the Harvard Business Review, but promotions, what did you all find as you did, you know, the, the research there? There's lots of ty types of unconscious bias. And one of them is proximity bias. Like I'm close to you. Therefore I feel more positively about you. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I've seen this in a couple of companies where it wasn't a fully distributed workplace where there was like kind of a hub and like some spokes um, where people like at the headquarters or in, in the main office um, that's where the senior decision makers were. And it's not just like the information in the meetings. It's like the, the chit chat that happens before it's the conversation you have on the way to lunch. Um, it's running into someone in the coffee shop down the street and, and walking back to the office together. Like you build rapport, you find out other information about stuff that's coming down the pipe and you, you have better visit, like you, you are more visible and have better visibility into those things. So I think it's just thinking about those, um, that kind of bias and people like th this is one where we don't have specific data but <clears throat> even just doing the thought experiment like of the last 10 juicy things that came up or where there was an opportunity to lead a new team um do outreach to a new client present at the company-wide meeting like who got those opportunities where are those people like what demographics are they and just a way to kind of audit your own practice and because those stretch opportunities lead up to the, the promotion cycle, like who's ready for the next level, who's ready to become staff engineer, um, who's ready for senior staff. Like it's the people who had those high visibility, high impact opportunities. Well, and I think that has something to do with Alex, but Alex said earlier too, is that making sure um, we have seen that you ask and, and a lot of people, um, maybe they don't feel like they want to do that because culturally we're told that they should wait until they've been spoken to or out of respect or out of fear and um, imposter syndrome. But sometimes you have to practice and role play asking for those opportunities because I, you know, when we talked about people being asked to speak on the speaking circuit and all the, the response from all of these white men were like, Oh, I didn't know you wanted to speak. Right. And it was like, Oh, did we both do that at the same time? Like we're both yes puppies. Like, it's, like, it's the it's a dog look of it's huh? because we both have puppies. I think that's what it is. Um, yeah, or maybe because it was a dog. That's a dog whistle. <laughs> we know. Yes, for real. Um, but it's like so important to try to practice. And I think as we look at people who are trying to be allies of understanding, you know, having those conversations and helping people. 
um, ask for those opportunities if they know to just consider if you're not going to be in the office, that might be something you want to think about. Um, and that it's not bragging, it's just informing, just a friendly reminder that I'm still here, I still exist, I did good work. Yeah, and I think, um, Tara, you'll probably remember this a few years ago at the Grace Hopper celebration, Satya Nadella um, said in front of a large group of engineering women, wait until you get tapped on the shoulder. Don't worry, they'll, they'll take care of you. And, you know, and he, of course, what? got lit no, up for that. No, he did not. <laughs> oh, oh I, I was sitting in the audience and I was like, um. <laughs> We're all doing Sorry. that puppy face. Again. And, but, no, every woman in the <laughs> yeah. room was like, <gasps> like you could just hear the An audible gasp. gasp. Yeah. And, and of course it, you know, he got lit up and apologized the next day to, you know, his entire team, but it was, it was, it's exactly that, that, you know, expecting that someone's going to just notice your good work doesn't work. And we know that, and we know that that's not the case. And, you know, when you're talking about a remote work environment, it's even harder, it's further away. And it is, you know, we know, you know, when we have teams that are co-located that it is the, oh, who's going out for beers after work or who is staying late that we have to order in dinner and all of us are going to eat together or whatever the things may be, which again, limits certain, you know, folks that have caregiving or whatever the, um, duties that they have that they do have to leave at a particular time, or even just folks that, um, you know, I am single and have always been the one that's had to, you know, work the Christmas week and those kind of things. But knowing that, you know, that also has been to my advantage. And, and so I think there's this piece that is you exactly, exactly what you're saying, Jackie, you have to share what you're looking for. You have to be comfortable saying, Hey, I do want a promotion or here's what my career goals are. Those types of things, because I think a lot of managers don't know how to have that conversation. And if you're not telling them, here's what I want to do next or what I'm thinking about or whatever it might be. And, and I don't mean every time you talk to them, but you know, every once in a while mentioning, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about now. Or if something changes, cause I've also had, you know, the leaders that have been, Oh, well, they told me two years ago that they wanted to do this next. And I'm like, okay, well, when is the last time you asked them? Because two years ago, I could tell you I was on a very different path than I am today. You, you know what I mean? And so it's also that piece of just those conversations that the leaders need to have, but they aren't having. I think is that right. piece about individual agency. Like, so there's some tactical things like telling your manager what, what your goals are. Um, if you're the one remote person and there's a lot of people in the room, having a buddy in the room, who's going to summarize the before and after chat. Um, I'm thinking about like, who's sponsoring you? Um, and if you're, if you're not sure who's taking your paper into the rooms you don't have access to it, then the answer is no one. <laughs> So there's those things that on the individual side you can do, but I think the focus of our article was like, this is a, an inflection point in, in the workplace and in work history. And we need to look at like the, the data at the systems level to see where um, we might have inadvertently designed an inequality and inequity and think about, okay, so if we're seeing this pattern where people in a certain time zone um, are always being left out, like, Maybe we, we move the meeting or we, th we think about like, 
think about what the problem is and ways to solve that rather than relying on individuals to to sort of bend and make it work from the individual level right and i, I think feel that's very articulate sorry no 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 I, I think that, no it's spot on i i think that's part of it too is the you know are we being clear in what actually needs to happen and what we need all of like i just don't think those conversations are occurring so yeah I, yeah no you that was very i agree with you wholeheartedly um can i ask you too like what are you seeing um in terms of uh, companies that you're partnering with or organizations that you're inside like what's working? Like what are some things that um, have come out of this? We have to go hybrid all of a sudden or have to go fully remote. But you know, we like this. There's some things that came out we didn't know we would like and we wanna keep these things. Like what are some of the things that have come out for you? I, I think that the one that I'm hearing again and again from leaders and employees is something that Jackie just mentioned. They Like getting to know folks on a different level because you have a view into their home or have a view into what might be going on throughout their day. Um, but I, and that's one piece, it's just, you know, kind of the, a different perspective on each one of your team members. Um, and then I think the other piece is the being able to do work in a different way because not everyone is going to be available all day long like they you know would be if they were in the office for 50, 60 hours a week instead having to find new technology or new ways of doing work, you know, like I can't tell you how many people I have spoken to in the last two years who are like, oh yeah, we have this really cool thing that we use. And I'm like, oh, what, you know what? Oh, we're using Google Sheets and it, like you can all collaborate together and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's a totally new technology. I agree, yes. <laughs> so stuff like that, that has been, it's more like, it's cute, but it's also like, oh yeah, I'm glad you're thinking about that stuff or using that stuff that you haven't before. What about you, Jackie? It's been the same. Like, I think the collaborative tools have been really interesting and cool. Um, Slack and uh, having uh, one thing that's really cool is that like uh, where I am, everybody has everything has a Slack channel. Like when something and so then mm -hmm. everybody gets this alert that you have a new Slack channel. And the new Slack channel is, you know, Halloween ideas. And then it's like, oh, so then everybody like, you know, scurries over and reads the things. Um, but also it's been nice because it still hasn't been just collaborative tools, but also trying to explain the workflow of your organizations and it's written. So it, it's, it's a must have. And so have insight into, um, organizations and or into the organization of what's actually happening where you would not have had that and because it doesn't have anything to do with you and we had a you know our company our department meeting and you're not in the department so you might not know what's going on so i think the collaborative tools have been really great um and i think also it has been interesting to see how that has uh driven innovation when you think about just um, how much better Zoom is than it was like just three years ago, mm -hmm. um, I think it's been interesting to see the innovation to try to support people in this way has been um, phenomenal to see. Uh, I think there is some people that are um, 
that are still trying to figure out what what is the best piece. Um, but I do like what you were talking about is is being able to get people from other uh, cities has been kind of cool. And so now um, where I am, there's almost like a mini competition between all the states that we've kind of put with talent acquisition, like your city can be the next headquartered city. We don't have a headquarters anymore. So it's like 50% of our companies in Seattle, but your city could be the next headquarters. Let's see who can hire five front end software engineers. Boom. <laughs> Where's the holiday party going to be in 2023? I don't know what state's going to have the most hires. Texas, duh. But I mean, it's ways that we've never thought of before that we're looking at. I think the flexibility and just like work-life integration, um, also the, the whole trend of like the great resignation. I don't know. Like I'm, I've been in yoga pants for two years, putting on yeah, hard pants and going out. And, and like an underwire bra, I'm just not into it not anymore. Like happening. I've not. hit a new level of like physical comfort, which maybe, maybe the needle's gone too far. I don't know. But I just, I can't imagine putting on hard clothes and businessy stuff and doing my hair and my makeup and commuting into work to be in meetings. Like right now I've got stretchy pants on, but you can't see. You're so right. <laughs> I had my Britney shirt on the other day, like in an interview, and I had to like sit like this because it says it's I'm Britney, yeah. and then I, so that I was like, okay, it's Britney. It's just it just a little too far. <laughs> but but it's funny because that so I'm in Arizona, Jackie's in Texas, and that has been my joke for all summer because I've been in shorts. And you, you aren't going to catch me in shorts in a business meeting <laughs> anywhere in public, but I'm in shorts when I'm sitting here in my office at home because it's hot as all get out outside. Um, and so it is like exactly, <laughs> I'm laughing at what you're saying of like, you know, an underwire bra and all of these other very important things that we have to do when we go outside that no, thank you. I'm good. I'm all set. Um, but anyways, like I'm on the West coast. I'm a morning person, so I'm happy to take a 7 a.m. meeting for clients who are on the East Coast. But then that also means I can run and do a workout at lunch. Um, I can go for a walk with a friend. I can go and do my grocery shopping when there's no one in the store. Like, those, having that flexibility is really important to me right now. And mm -hmm. I like the way you said work-life integration because it isn't. it is difficult to call it balance when you're always at work. Sometimes, but you can incorporate it into um, your life. Uh, we don't have set hours here, um, but we do ask people to meetings and they okay or say they can or propose any time. Um, and so it's nice to, like you said, like have that. But then I also like being in the central time zone of having that, those morning hours that I know no one's going to bother me and I can just sit and focus and have a cup of coffee uninterrupted, you know? Um, and so I think it is important to embrace those things. And I also think it's a really important, if you look at the articles of the people, um, I know that there are various groups that want to go back to the office, but more specifically, like old school execs really want that because they feel like there is a loss of control. And it, there is a loss of control that should have happened years ago. And I think mm -hmm. that goes back to the point where um, of bringing your whole self 
right? And it, and it being comfortable because I think all of our um, lives have changed now that we wear stretchy pants and don't have a bra and maybe I didn't even floss until three. Like, I'm just like, oh, shoot. I was like, I need to comb my hair. <laughs> like I didn't, I just woke <laughs> up, just kind of came out, rolled out. Um, and I don't know if I could do that. My commute has been, you know, 30 seconds for over 13 years. The thought mm-hmm. of driving in traffic I don't, I, I always said I would rather work at around the corner close to my house is like a, uh, like a Walgreens. I'll just work there because it's closed and whatever, but I'm not getting all dolled up and doing that again. And you shouldn't have to. For us, it's a choice, but like, this is uh, what people, some people with disabilities have been asking for, for years, like 10, 20 years. And yes. we're told no. Um, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden overnight it's become possible. So what I don't want to see is that um, we're still we're still in the pandemic here in Canada, um, but when it becomes an endemic, that all of a sudden the flexibility that we had and how we've also as workers like really bent over backwards to make things work mm-hmm. for companies to say no, you can't have that, and the people who it'll hurt the most are people who are more marginalized, especially people with disabilities. So. Um, yeah. And Alex, unfortunately she had to leave, but she has an interesting story about, um, from the research from her book where she talked to different people with disabilities and one person really preferred camera off. So like for me, I like to be able to see people and get the nonverbal cues. And I think often people say, you know, this is the best practice. And it's like, again, one size fits one. For some people, it's exhausting. It's information overload. Um, we've also seen that some women, well, not just women, but people seeing yourself all the time has resulted in some like not positive things around self-image and body image. Um, so again, I think the, the best practice for Zoom and what how we're we want to be online, we need to we need to discuss that and figure out what's going to work for everyone like if I know um Jackie it it, having your camera off allows you more mental processing time to be really in the conversation like then I want to do that mine is also I um Jackie knows this I get easily distracted (laughs) and I'm listening I'm listening to what's going on but there's quail outside that I have to look at because they're so freaking cute or you know whatever it might be and there's also this piece and I think this is part of the the generational you know gap that so many folks are talking about where I can have three devices going at once and still be attuned to the conversation and whether that's good, that, you know, that's not a good thing, but it is a thing. And so there is also that piece of, are we allowing folks to have those spaces where they can, to your point, process or be doing whatever they need to be doing and also engaging in the conversation. Cause you know, I have right now, I have your article up, I have uh, Alex's book up, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, pulling different things in as we're having this conversation but if someone's just watching me, which luckily it does turn off our cameras when we're not speaking, but they would see me, you know, looking at my other screen or, you know, looking outside. Cause you know, again, quail are cute. Um, and so there is like all of those things, but I am also someone that likes my camera on just cause I like to have that kind of more in-person feel, but that's just me. 
what you're saying reminds me there was an executive at Mozilla who had a fidget um like a fidget toy and Mm -hmm. he was fidgeting above the table and like there were so many layers of that and we, we talked about it later in the future it meant a lot to me that he trusted me to to not um have to hide that under the table it also mm-hmm. meant a lot to me because as someone with a lot of power in the room, he was doing that openly, which also gave more space and normalized yeah. that behavior for other people. Um, so I think the way that leaders show up either in person or online or in hybrid, it makes an outsized impact. So mm-hmm. senior, senior leaders and managers, how you show up for your team's um, and the way you react or don't react to things also sends cues and messages to other people about what's okay and what isn't okay. Yes. And, and it is interesting. I think there is more of that trusting and sharing than has happened in the past as well. I feel like, but I don't know if you all are feeling the same thing where I feel like folks are being more open about yes, I use a fidget spinner or yes, I have whatever's going on at home, whatever it might be. And folks are more comfortable sharing that than they maybe have been in the past, which I think is great. Um, but there's still, I mean, there's still a lot that needs to occur to get to really that, that space of comfort. I've heard like some, and some from friends, some managers or in the education sector, teachers telling their, their students, you have to have the camera on or it's unprofessional not to be on camera and also be dressed in a certain way. And I just think, wow, like that's, that really sucks. And it sucks disproportionately for some people. And Mm -hmm. they probably don't realize what they're doing in terms of saying who belongs and who doesn't, but it's like, Oh, what, like what, what an unfortunate thing. Mm -hmm. you know I've tried to use it for like my personal intersectionality when I'm talking to people um especially now because previously a lot of my work was pre-planned where we knew we were getting a webinar and I'm talking to a bunch of executives and now um it's more one-on-one and I have to explain um I ask people if I can record, record the interview. And I always say, I promise I'm going to delete it. I'm not keeping it. I cannot write and listen to you at the same time. I cannot, you know, and people are always like, have you tried? And I'm like, yeah, I've tried all the things. Trust me. I cannot do it. Um, And then it's like, and I explain, you know, I'm going to convert it. I'm going to put it out. And then I'm going to make sure that we have all the notes. Um, But I don't think I ever told anybody about, those I don't think I ever mentioned to anybody that I have ADHD until I started having to explain things like you're talking about or the fidget spinner or um because I'm on camera all day and but it also has allowed I think it helps kind of people put their shoulders down a little bit of of trying to share that like you're saying how you show up makes a big difference to the whole organization Katie is on mute that is fun (laughs) Sorry. I was trying to be good because there's landscapers everywhere in the neighborhood right now. Um, and quail. They're so cute. And <laughs> they are. So there's cute. actually these yucky pigeons out there right now. Not a fan of them. Um, okay. <laughs> so Tara, what's one thing that you want to make sure our listeners get 
And obviously we'll share the link for the article and for Alex's book. What's one thing you want to share with our audience today? Ooh, I think we're in a really interesting time um, for work and being hybrid versus being in person isn't necessarily going to help or hinder your diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. So take an experimental mindset and measure and have some hypotheses and see, and then figure out where, where your, um, where being hybrid is eroding um, the gains you've made in DEI and pilot things to fix that. Um, there's so many awesome opportunities and things that we can gain from working in a hybrid way. Um, so let's figure out how to do that and continue to drive our diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Awesome. Thank you. Jackie, what's one thing? Only one. I, only I'm one. only going to give only you one. one, I promise. I just love Tara Robertson. And I think if they can only get one thing, just make sure you are following her. Just like the sentiment that Alex said, it's just shares so much great content. And always I feel uplifted by following um, you. All that, those it seems like forever ago it was probably like a year or so ago. Um, but I really think that you share good content and I appreciate you for that. And so I hope that um, they follow and thank you for being so um, willing to share information and transparent with their own story and making space for others. Was that, that was like 35 things, but it was one it thing. Was, it was 35 Does things about how awesome Tara is. So yeah. I, I fully support it as Aww. one. <laughs> no, like, I hope that you know that we do, like, you are one of our favorites because of the fact that it's, we have these conversations, which I think anyone that's listening can take and go, oh, wow, how can I apply that in my company? How can I think about this in my environment? And that's what this is about, you know, as we talk about what are we trying to achieve with these conversations, it's how do we give people tools and ideas and thoughts that they because we're working remotely and a lot of times we're trying to go, how do we do this on our own or how, you know, I, I can't afford a consultant or I can't whatever, you know, how do I start to th think about some of these things or look at different tools or whatever it might be. And I just think that your article and your work and yes, everything you're sharing on social media is so helpful for folks to actually start learning. And, you know, it just creates awareness and is driving the right conversations, but that wasn't my one thing. That was just me echoing. Oh yes, it was. What Jackie what said. What is your one thing? My one Katie thing Van Horn? is my one thing is um, leaders making sure that you're having those conversations about what are the ways that your people want to be led and what is comfortable for them, what is helpful for them, all of those things. So, kind of echoing what you were sharing earlier, Tara, about you know just making sure that, you know, what fits you isn't going to fit every one of your employees. And actually everyone in your, every one of your employees might have a different answer to the question of like, what do you need and how can I best support you to get your work done and, and to be successful in your role? And just having that conversation is such a critical thing to actually drive results um, for the organization, but also to make sure your, your folks are successful and happy and doing great work and are engaged in all of those, you know, all those good things that we know about. So thank you all for listening. Um, 
Tara, we still like have, I think, a whole list of things that we want to talk yeah, to you about. We like, had a specific this topic, is, topic. This is not like this wasn't the business. This is no. business we wanted to Can talk I come about. Can I back another day? Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Conversations <laughs> like totally fill me up. And I wanted to congratulate you. I think this is your 51st episode. And yes. you are now part of a bigger podcast family. Um, Evergreen, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm so excited yeah. for you. And I'm excited for the the work that you're doing to have broader reach. Oh, thank you. Tom. We appreciate that. Uh, we got a little love fest going on here. All of us love each I other. Love you. No, I, I love, love you. I love you. Oh, I love you. Hugs, air hugs, all the hugs. Oh. Um, all right. As Tara mentioned, we are now part of the Evergreen Podcast family, which we're super excited about. This is our 51st episode. Um, if you missed our LinkedIn live this morning, um, or I guess that won't, you'll be hearing it. It was a few weeks ago. <laughs> Go look on Jackie's page, you know, um, it's there. Uh, but we had a, a fun little conversation and, um, we have a lot more coming up. So thank you so much for listening. This is the inclusive AF podcast. My name is Katie Van Horn and I'm Jackie Clayton. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.